Welcome to Tax Notes Talk, a podcast from Tax Notes, the leading source of tax news, information, and analysis. Welcome to the podcast. I'm David Stewart, Editor-in-Chief of Tax Notes Today International. This week, Decisions, Decisions. As summer yields to fall, the August congressional recess comes to an end, leading to a busy legislative season. The Senate and House are due back in the next few weeks, and the legislative body has a lot to cover. From an essential budget bill to funding for the IRS, there's a sharp divide between Republican and Democratic expectations. So what tax policy and legislation can we expect from Congress this fall? Here to talk more about this are Tax Notes Capitol Hill reporters Katie Stanton and Doug Sword. Katie, Doug, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for having us. Hey, Dave. So why don't we start off with the, some of the basics here. So what is the budget process that we're looking forward to and, and why is the timing so difficult to predict this year? First of all, Dave, uh, Congress has a September problem. For uh, 27 years in a row, it has failed to pass its 12 spending bills by the September 30th deadline. And I feel confident that streak is going to stay alive this year. Uh, we're going to go to a, a 28th year. And th- there's a few reasons for that. The House managed to pass just one of its 12 spending bills, and then it took off for six weeks. The House is coming back September 12th with 12 legislative days left before the uh, end of the fiscal year, and there's no way they're going to finish their bills by then. And even if they did, the Senate has passed none of its bills, and there's a $115 billion gulf between what the two chambers want to spend in fiscal 2024, even though there was a budget agreement and the debt deal, but that's sort of been ignored. So the main thing to be resolved in September will probably be whether they can pass a CR. That's a continuing resolution that continues funding past the end of fiscal 2023, which ends September 30th. And if they don't pass a CR, you go into a partial government shutdown, not on October 1st, since that's a Sunday this year, but they'd start sending federal workers home by noon on October 2nd. The, the question is, can, can House Speaker Kevin McCarthy get, get a CR passed? Will the Freedom Caucus help him, even though the Freedom Caucus has been very cantankerous on all budget matters? And so he may have to turn to Democrats for uh, for votes to get a CR through. And complicating that is Democrats feel they always went shutdowns. So even if there is a shutdown, though, I mean, the, the longest one has been 35 days. And this is the beginning game, not the end game, which particularly for us, since the, that's when the tax deal occurs, th- that's that's the part that, that we'll be focused on. So we're expecting some manner of action, whether it's a no action shutdown or some sort of kicking the can down the road. When can we expect this to be resolved? And will there be a tax aspect to the final bill? Yeah, the, I mean, the, the first question I, I think to unpack there is whether or not there'll be an omnibus bill. Typically, there's an omnibus bill. Uh, the, the, for fiscal 2023, all 12 spending bills were wrapped together and, and passed uh, just before Christmas with uh, 20 other laws thrown on top and, and a bunch of tax provisions, including on conservation easements and, and retirement savings uh, uh, thrown in for good measure. A uh, year before, there was there was a great big omnibus, but uh, uh, McCarthy and House Majority Leader Steve Scalise and, and other House Republican leaders have insisted that there will be no omnibus this year, that they're going to do things the old-fashioned way uh, and pass bills one at a time. And like I said, they have passed one bill. But you know, most of the Congress watchers I talk to think there probably will be an omnibus or at least some sort of uh, mini bus with you know six bills on it, something like that. 
Yeah, regardless of whether there's an omnibus, uh, if there's a tax deal uh, done, then then somebody's going to find a vehicle because because the problem in, in, in tax talks hasn't been the lack of a vehicle. It's been that, that a deal has eluded uh, members for, for more than a year now. But the, the, as for the question of when will the budget process be done, uh, the debt ceiling deal uh, became law in June, uh, gave some incentives, particularly for Republicans, to get the budget done before the end of the year. Because if any part of the budget is is uh, CR'd into next year, uh, then the, the defense spending number gets gets marked down by $36 billion. Uh, and the non-defense uh, figure actually gets marked up. Now, it's not permanent. As long as there's a deal by April 30th, and yes, that's a scary date. As long as there's a deal by April 30th, the, the $36 billion goes back. But uh, if, uh, if they don't get a deal by April 30th, there is a real $36 billion sequestered out of the defense budget. So that's the real hammer in all this. So this could be a very long slog. Now, Katie, what would we expect in terms of tax in an ultimate resolution to this? I know that there's been discussion of issues that related to child tax credit and Tax Cuts and Jobs Act extenders. So what, what are you looking to see? So we obviously don't have a full sense of what will be in that final package yet, but we do have this one large segment of tax legislation that was coming from the Ways and Means Committee from House Republicans. It's a package of three bills that passed through the committee a few weeks ago. That package has been by and large panned by House and Senate Democrats and really just serves as a starting point for negotiations going into the fall. But what is in that set of bills still gives us a sense of what we might expect by the end of the year. So that package includes, in a major way, fixing three expired business tax provisions from the 2017 Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. So that's full research and development expensing, net interest expensing, and bonus depreciation. Since those provisions have already sunsetted and R&D especially has received bipartisan support, they're the most likely to make it into an end-of-year vehicle and have kind of been the main focus so far. But on the other side of the aisle, Democrats in both the House and the Senate have made it clear that they want some kind of support for working families in any legislation fixing those three expired provisions, primarily in the form of an expansion of the child tax credit, as you mentioned. So obviously, the American Rescue Plan expanded the CTC up to $3,600 for young children and $3,000 for kids six and over. And that money was also available in monthly installments and fully available to those with little to no income, which is a change from what it is now, which is $2,000 for children under 17. Republicans have pointed to the TCJA, which expanded the CTC from $1,000 to $2,000 as proof of their support for families with children and of their support for the CTC in general. Ways and Means Committee Chair Jason Smith has also voiced he's open to an enhancement of the CTC for a tax package, but only if that's alongside changes to work requirements for the credit. And members of the House Problem Solvers Caucus have also created a working group on creating compromise around the CTC. So with those two aspects together, a solution does seem possible and progress is being made toward a middle ground. But the smoke hasn't really cleared yet on what a final arrangement might look like. Something else to pay attention to is what pay-fors could be decided upon to cover the cost of fixing those three big business tax provisions alongside other tax cuts. Democrats are unlikely to be open to cutting the clean energy tax incentives created in the Inflation Reduction Act. That was the method that House Republicans used uh, as a pay-for in their initial tax package. They cut some of those incentives. So it'll be really interesting to see what other creative ideas might come out to cover costs overall. 
Um, the debate over the debt ceiling this Congress has really put a new pressure in that area. Now, are there any other issues out there looming that might get bundled into this omnibus or, or minibus? Well, the, the, the main show is, is over the child tax credit and the three TCJA provisions that Katie was talking about. There are a, a handful of other items that uh, that are very bipartisan that could be tacked onto any any deal and, and or maybe could float by themselves uh, if there's no agreement on those, those big four tax provisions. Uh, at first, would probably be some sort of solution to 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 the uh, 1099k problem. The American Rescue Plan created a requirement for platforms like Lyft and Uber to uh, uh, send uh, 1099ks to the IRS and to uh, their contractors for for any for anybody who makes more than $600 a year from them. And that was supposed to go into effect uh, this year, but the IRS, despite having no legal authority whatsoever to do so, put that off for a year. And um, most people I talk to don't think they can get away with doing that a second time. So, so there'll probably be some, some push to, to, to increase that $600 threshold. And also the um, uh, Treasury uh, needs to fix a couple problems with, with the retirement bill that was tacked into last year's omnibus because there, there's some errors in it. And uh, the four corners of the tax writing committees, the Senate Finance and the House Ways and Means Committee, the, the chairs and ranking members, are all in agreement that if uh, Treasury can't fix this uh, administratively, that, that, that uh, they'll work on uh, Congress uh, making those corrections in a bill. And then lastly, I, I think there's, there's, a, there's a lot of support for uh, some sort of uh, reform expansion of the low-income housing tax credit. Support for this podcast is provided by Practicing Law Institute. Check out Practicing Law Institute's popular tax strategies program taking place this fall. Attend this essential corporate tax program where you'll receive the latest information, strategies, and practical insights from leading tax practitioners. For more details and to register, visit pli.edu slash taxstrategies23. That's pli.edu slash taxstrategies23. Now, one of the issues that's been out there ever since the TCJA has been the limitation on the state and local tax deduction. Uh, is there any more discussion about that? Absolutely. So like we said, Ways and Means uh, advanced that trio of tax bills in this big marathon markup back on June 13th. But those bills have yet to see a full floor vote in the House. You know, that could be for a lot of different reasons, including, like Doug mentioned, divisions within the Republican Party and fights between the House Freedom Caucus and Speaker Kevin McCarthy. But the largest hurdle to a floor vote for those bills has been House Republicans in the SALT caucus, as you mentioned. They're advocating for a raise in the cap on the state and local income tax deduction. Members from high-tax states, including New Jersey, New York, and California, have met with Jason Smith and told him they want to see a lift on that cap, which is currently set at $10,000 from the TCJA, before they show their support for the package. Since Democrats are expected to wholly oppose the package in that floor vote, and Speaker McCarthy can only afford to lose five votes in his majority, the demands have led progress on the package to just screech to a halt right now. Caucus members have told both Doug and myself that negotiations on including some change to that cap in the package are ongoing as of going into recess. Proposals include raising the cap to $20,000 for married couples and raising the cap to $100,000 or even just eliminating the cap altogether. That was also a problem for former House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, who had an even narrower majority in 2021. 
Uh, she was forced to postpone votes on Democrats' giant Build Back Better tax package um, because of revolts by moderates and by the SALT caucus's Democratic members. So this isn't the first time that SALT has served as a hurdle to advancing a tax package. Now, one major issue that goes just beyond the U.S. is the OECD's work on the two-pillar solution for updating the taxation of multinationals. What are we hearing from Congress about those proposals? So House Republicans and GOP Ways and Means members especially have been quite outspoken in taking issue with the Biden administration's negotiations as part of the OECD's global tax deal. In particular, they've actually introduced two pieces of legislation kind of pushing back on that global tax deal. One would require Treasury to identify extraterritorial and discriminatory taxes that other countries levy on U.S. companies and urge those countries to repeal the measures or face a reciprocal or basically retaliatory tax. Um, the legislation doesn't explicitly specify the kind of tax that would go under that scope, but the release does highlight the UTPR under tax profits rule, part of the pillar two of OECD's global tax deal as an example. They also introduced legislation called the Unfair Tax Prevention Act, which would leverage the U.S.'s base erosion and anti-abuse tax to impose a reciprocal tax on countries that implement the UTPR. Chairman Smith and others have also even made plans to travel to Europe to share their complaints directly with OECD leaders. Um, that could occur sometime this recess, and they had planned to do so earlier in the year, but debt limit negotiations delayed that trip. Outside of Ways and Means, the House Appropriations Committee, as Doug reported, um, voted to zero out the U.S. funding of the OECD in its state foreign operations and related programs spending bill in July, a move that the top committee Democrat Rosa DeLauro called a return to isolationism. But aside from House Republicans, there have also been some criticisms thrown at U.S. participation in the OECD's global tax deal from Democrats. They've been relatively lukewarm in their support for some of those areas, especially around the deal's treatment of the U.S.'s non-refundable tax credits, including the domestic research credit. Um, members of both parties have also told Treasury officials in the White House that they're pretty disappointed with a lack of consultation with Congress on the negotiations for the tax deal, as Congress ultimately has to approve the international agreement. Now, another major issue out there is the uh, IRS funding. The, the IRS received a, a, a major bump in funding under the Inflation Reduction Act, but that doesn't seem particularly popular with uh, Republicans in Congress. So, so where is that? Yes, it's it's very, very, very unpopular with Republicans. House Republicans have have set their sights on, on uh, two parts of the IRS uh, budget, and uh, the IRS budget is actually very central to the the the, the gulf between uh, the House and the Senate uh, budget budgets that are forming. So, so it's going to be interesting how that plays out. Uh, House appropriators advanced a bill to uh, to cut the IRS's annual discretionary budget by nine percent. As, as Dave mentioned, uh, uh, the IRS separately got $79 billion in the Inflation Reduction Act. They get that over 10 years. That, that's referred to as mandatory funding. So the House also has targeted that pot of money that they have $67 billion in cuts spread throughout their budget on the IRS mandatory dollars, pretty much wiping those out. Now, now over in the Senate, the head of the, the subcommittee that, that oversees the IRS budget argues that their bill included a flat line of the IRS budget, the annual budget. It was a very bipartisan bill. It was unanimously advanced by the uh, Senate Appropriations Committee, and that the, uh, the the House bill is tremendously partisan, the 9% cut. So he, he says the bipartisan part of what went. 
But I would point out Republicans have been surprisingly adept at slashing away at both the IRS discretionary and mandatory funds. They got a 2% cut in IRS uh, fiscal 2023 budget uh, uh, last December. And in the debt limit deal, uh, Joe Biden agreed to, to take $21.4 billion out of the uh, out of the Inflation Reduction Act money. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. We've recently seen some movement on tax treaties in the U.S. Senate. So one of the major ones out there right now is the tax agreement with Taiwan. Uh, Katie, could you give us an update on that? Absolutely. Um, You've picked a very complicated topic in Congress. But when the Senate returns from recess in September, talks around a tax agreement with Taiwan are likely to restart. So Senate Finance Committee Chair Ron Wyden and Ranking Member Mike Crapo sent an announcement just before summer recess that the committee will hold a markup of a tax agreement between the U.S. and Taiwan that was written by the heads of Senate Finance as well as the heads of the House Ways and Means Committee. But a few weeks prior to recess, the Senate Foreign Relations Committee advanced a separate piece of tax agreement legislation with Taiwan. So we've got two different attempts at an agreement going on at the same time, and neither party is being particularly transparent about coming to a compromise. The final version of the legislation from those tax committees hasn't been shared, but the draft accomplished basically the same goals as the Senate Foreign Relations text. It eliminates double taxation and would implement measures to limit the risk of tax evasion or avoidance. Chairman Menendez, who is the head of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, has argued his legislation is broader than the tax committee's legislation. Menendez and Wyden have been tight-lipped about the progress of resolving this kind of jurisdictional dispute on the agreement. Um, But Menendez is a member of the Senate Finance Committee and as the chair of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee is kind of involved on both sides of this. Both chairs have voiced their intention to move forward with their respective legislation. So it'll be something to pay attention to in the fall to kind of see how that plays out. Well, there is a lot to keep track of over the next coming months. But Katie and Doug, I'm sure you will keep us up to date on all of it. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Dave. And now, coming attractions. Each week we highlight new and interesting commentary in our magazines. Joining me now is Acquisitions and Engagement Editor-in-Chief Paige Jones. Paige, what will you have for us? Thanks, Dave. In Tax Notes Federal, Justin Schwagel argues that the IRS's intentional destruction of information returns likely led to many low-income taxpayers being audited. Shannon Jamilo and Ian Redpath examine a recent Senate report detailing online tax return preparation companies' sharing of taxpayer data with meta-platforms, and they wonder if it's ethical. In Tax Note State, Michael Sims and Matthew Sommer examine consequences and questions that stem from an Arizona appeals court holding that canned software is perceptible to the census, so it's taxable as tangible personal property. David Shipley and Aliza Sherman provide an insider's perspective regarding New Jersey's recent corporation business tax changes. In Tax Notes International, Stephen Rash and Benedict Wenzel explain how recent updates to Germany's transfer of functions regulations fail to provide clarity for some taxpayers. Three KPMG practitioners explain the challenges of developing an arm's-length transfer pricing range for North American retailers. In Featured Analysis, Nana Almasarfo explains how the example of foreign tax authorities could help the United States as it plans to pilot a direct electronic filing system. And finally, on the opinions page, Sarfo also examines the recent trend of social media-based tax fraud schemes. That's it for this week. 
You can follow me online at taxstew, that's S-T-E-W, and be sure to follow at taxnotes for all things tax. If you have any comments, questions, or suggestions for a future episode, you can email us at podcast at taxanalyst.org. And as always, if you like what we're doing here, please leave a rating or review wherever you download this podcast. We'll be back next week with another episode of Tax Notes Talk. Tax Notes Talk is a production of Tax Notes. You can learn more about us by visiting www.taxnotes.com podcast. When major media wants the straight story, they turn to Tax Notes. Thank you for listening and join us again for another edition of Tax Notes Talk. Tax Analyst Inc. does not provide tax advice or tax preparation services. Nothing in the podcast constitutes legal, accounting, or tax advice. A full disclaimer is included in the transcript.